Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. We welcome in a man who was born with basketball in his blood, a McDonald's All-American, FIBA America's League MVP, member of the 2015 United States team that placed bronze in the Pan American Games. This 10-year NBA veteran scored 3,604 points playing for seven different franchises. He also played overseas for a few teams, so he got his traveling in prior to this pandemic. This Capricorn is a current regional rep for the National Basketball Players Association, the man with the charismatic smile that could convince carnivores to go plant-based. Although he doesn't put the grocery cart back where it belongs, he's parked in for this interview. We welcome in future GM Damian Wilkins. What's going on? What's happening? <laughs> Sorry I had to call you out for the part for the grocery cart, but okay. you know that's actually like you that's watch, a big thing. Watching me, man. <laughs> that's what social media is for. <laughs> oh man. Damian. Damien, it's a pleasure having you on. How are you and your family doing right now? We're good, man. We're good. Um, a lot of distance learning going on, a little homeschooling. Uh, that's about it, man. Just, you know, staying low, keeping my head down, working. You know, PA keeps me busy. Uh, so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Damien's always grinding, whether it's on the court or off the court, and we want to start with your playing career, and not just in the NBA. We want to take it way back, and I know Coach wants to go way, way back. Yes, sir. So we're at a Maryland area-based pod, so I want to start to your beginning of your basketball career. After your first year playing at home in the state of North Carolina, take me back to that sophomore, junior year playing at St. John's with Jason Campbell under Stu Vetter. How was the process like moving? playing in one of the toughest leagues in the count in the country. Some, uh, yeah, go ahead. you know, it was, um, I didn't want to go at first. I, I, I didn't want to go at all. My dad, um, he kind of made me go, but we had a long talk about this for like a month. And he was just like, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be, you know, the best thing for you. You get to play against the best competition. And he was like, you just, you're not getting any better here. It's like, you can't be, he said, it's, it's, he got mad at me because he got mad at the coach of our, my varsity team, my freshman year in high school, because I was starting. And he was like, there's no way you should be starting as a freshman on, in high school. He was like, I just that tells me everything I need to know about the competition you're playing against. And I didn't understand that then. I understand it now that I have a son. So, I, you know, I understand it now. But, you know, for me, I was like, well, shoot, I'm I'm good. Like, what do you mean? Like, that's why I'm starting, because I'm I'm better than anyone else that would be playing my position. And he was like, no. He was like, so how, how did that come up? Like, Co Coach Stu Vetter coming to Maryland? No, Stu Vetter was my AAU team's okay. high coach. My, a, my, high, my coach for my AAU team, he was his high school coach. Okay. Played with um, Dennis Scott. Um on that team and my AU team was the Georgia stars and the Georgia stars head coach name was Brian Demolic. And he played at Georgia tech with Dennis Scott. He played at 
Prospect Hall on the Stu Vetter. Well, not Prospect Hall. I think back then it was called on. Um, I forgot where they played. But anyway, um, that's how it kind of happened. He just, the coach of that team told my dad about the prep school there. And my dad was like, it sounds like where my son need to be. Like, I want him to play against the best in the country. And I, know. And I want him to, to get better. I want him to get his butt kicked a little bit. And um, he said, I'm tired of seeing him going in the gym and just being the best player in the gym. Like, it's just not realistic. And um, it was one of the best decisions I've we've made together, for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I went ahead and just said, yeah, I'll go. And I went. We were living with the coach. That was weird to me, like, living at Coach Better's house, um, waking up, you know, going to, to the gym at 5 a.m., then going to school, then our lunch break. The school's lunch break was an hour. Our lunch break was only 15 minutes. This coach Vetter had us working out. Doing yeah. And then we would have rest of the school, then practice, go home. And then at night, he'll make us come back at 10 o'clock every night. Dude, so it was wow. like basketball all day. And it was like college. Yeah, it really was. You know, but he knew. Like, he's like, look, he would tell us. He's like, look, we're not here for school. Like, we're not, you guys aren't here for school. I know that you guys know that. And so we're going to work on what we're here for. So that, uh, our first game lining up against one of our first games, my, my, the sophomore year I was there, we played against Tracy McGrady. And I remember sitting on the, on the jump circle and I'm looking over at him and I'm like, I'm a long way from that school. I just was, was that, (laughs) um, but it was, it was one of the best decisions I made for my career. Um, certainly because, you know, during that time I played against, like I said, T-Mac, Joe Forte, Keith Bogans, Bogans. Uh, Mark Archer, um, DeMar Johnson, um, James White. I mean, you can, yeah, I played against, like, all those guys. Um, Donnell Harvey, you know, uh, Nick Collison, Kirk Heinrich. Like, that was our schedule in high school, so it was, I mean, every night we were playing against stiff competition and it just pushed us, it's pushed me to get better and better. Yeah, and your next step, because you didn't stay in the Maryland area, we didn't have a chance to watch you in high school, but you played your high school ball at Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando, Florida. And as a senior in 1999, you were a monster for the Panthers, setting school records for rebounds in a game with 14, steals, eight, and rebounds in a season with 389 while leading the team to a 25 and 8 record and a district championship. You received All-American honors and are the only representative from that school to play in the McDonald's All-American game. And I know Brad wanted to kind of touch on, you know, coming from a family of basketball and and how that develops your skill set. Yeah, so so Damian, I um listening to you talk, you know, about coming up with Stu Vetter you know, from afar, obviously, it sounds a lot like, you know, what LeBron's doing with his son, uh, Bronny, you know, it's kind of iron sharpens iron. If he goes anywhere, you know, in the country, he's probably starting. But on that team where it's, you know, a bunch of guys that are already one through five in the in the nation, right. he's coming off the bench. So by the time he's a junior or senior, he's already going to be a monster because right. he's going against those guys in practice. So I'm curious for you, you know, it's not an, it's not enough to just be tall and or, you know, it's not exactly that you had your your father or, you know, your uncle 
giving you the tricks of the trade at all at all times growing up. So I'm curious, you know, how did you go about curating your skill set at an early age? Was it just that iron sharpens iron? Uh, it really was. I mean, I, I really, to be honest with you, I, like again, my freshman year in high school, I I didn't have much of a work ethic. I was just better than everyone else, and I and and I knew that. Um, once I got to Prospect Hall, I think that's where I developed a work ethic. And my dad has always instilled in me hard work, so I wasn't afraid of hard work, but you know, my that year in high school in particular, like I just didn't have to work hard. No. Mm-hmm. And once I got with Coach Better and the competition got stiffer, you know, I realized that like there were places that these guys are going and that's my competition. So in order to to surpass those guys or get to those same places or higher, I had to to put time into my game. So that year, like I said, my sophomore year with Coach Better, it started kind of the, the snowball effect of me realizing how much work I had to put in to be as good as I wanted to be. And, you know, planning his system, him, you know, demanding so much out of myself and Jason Capel, um, we, he never put us on the same team in practice, and we were starters together. And he always matched us up with each other. So we were pushing each other every day just kind of to get better, even to the point where we I, – I didn't even like Jason Cable the first – first, I, I couldn't stand him. <laughs> and we were living in the same house. Like, I would literally walk past him and not speak to him. I, I just did not like him, and I think Coach Better liked that. <laughs> that was the type of guy he was. He wanted guys with an edge, and I just – you know – he was light skinned. I, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, I didn't like him, and like I just did not like that guy. But like, he made me so much better. Um, every day we just worked and worked against each other. So it was a combination of my dad, you know, when I would get back with him in the summer, um, you know, and then that work ethic would coach better, even to the point when I knew. I had done some of the right things when I went back home that summer to be with my dad. And, you know, I was in the gym working, working, working. And he was like, you, you done? I'm like, nah, let's keep going. And he was like, see, you did go to the right school because last year you were ready to go home after an hour and a half. So it was just a combination of all those things. And I think that stuck with me throughout my career, my life, even now. So did you, uh, did you, did you ever have any doubt, you know, that freshman year when, when you realize, okay, this is a different level. Maybe I don't have it. Did you have to overcome that or were you just like, it's time to go to work? Uh, it was a little bit of both, really. I, I I I was confident. I was super confident. So I didn't – it wasn't a lot of doubt, but I was like, man, I don't know if I'm ready. Like when I would – we first got to school, he showed us a schedule. Like actually when we first got to school, what happened was we got all these packages that came in the mail, and we're in the weight room at Prospect Hall. And all these packages came one day, like our first week there. And we opened up the packages, all brand Jordan stuff. Right. And we was the first team, us and Oak Hill were the first high school team to be brand Jordan high schools. And I'm looking in the box. I'm like, this shit is real. Like, like <laughs> I can't just you can't just wear anything. We got brand Jordan stuff like with that logo. It did something to you back then. You know, even now. Yeah. Right. So it was um, it was just one of those things where I was like, OK. And then then he showed us the schedule. Like that same day, he showed us our schedule, and I'm looking, and he had Mount Zion, and then in parentheses on the side, he wrote the name of the guys on the team who were like those guys. And I'm like, we about to play against 
T-Mac. <laughs> who matchup is that? <laughs> you know, I'm like, who, like me and Jason, you know, Kate, we looking at each other like, you got him? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, so it was one of those things, man, where it was just kind of like, I was, I knew then that what we're doing now is real. Like we're yeah. in the real, we're in, we're in the big leagues now. So it wasn't a doubt. It was more like of a, it was a, it was an excitement, but it was a nervousness too. Cause I, I wanted to make sure that I was ready. So what that did, it made me go harder. It was like, mm -hmm. okay, I got to get to it. And, and you talk about going to the big leagues and you, your game caught a lot of eyes as you were the number 11 recruit out of high school and you started your college career at NC state. As a freshman, you instantly made an impact, scoring 11.5 points per game with 5.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists, and over a steal. Got to throw that in there. Your stats were very identical your sophomore year with a slight bump in scoring, assists, and steals. And after two years of playing for the Wolfpack and looking pretty promising, you initially entered the 2001 NBA draft but decided to withdraw and transfer to the University of Georgia. Now, I'm curious because you played in a tough conference in the ACC and put up good numbers. I'm sure your initial decision to declare for the draft wasn't spontaneous, but what made you change your mind? Well, that, that's a backstory to that as well. The, the reason why I chose NC State because I was living with my mom before I moved in with my dad. I didn't move in with my dad's house 14 years old. And my mom lived an hour and a half from uh, North Carolina State's campus. And she never saw me play at my freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school, like not one game. And um, so when I went, that was the only reason I went to North Carolina State. It had nothing to do with the school, the system, the coach, the campus, nothing. Cause was, it, was NC State closer to mom than like North Carolina or Duke or some of those schools? Raleigh, Raleigh is closer to Eastern North Carolina than those other schools. Well, they're all kind of in the same triangle, but Raleigh was, I didn't want to go to North Carolina because Jason Capel was Campbell, yeah. Yeah, um, and I couldn't stand Duke. I just, <laughs> I didn't like Duke at all. I didn't want the temp haircut. I didn't, I just didn't like Duke. Like, um, but they recruited me. Also, Connecticut recruited me and I wanted to go there. I was going to go to Connecticut, but, you know, Connecticut was wing you. Like, if you were a wing mm -hmm. Connecticut, you were going to the NBA. That's just like, that's what we, that's what I called it. That's what everyone I knew called it back then, wing you. So it was between Connecticut, Florida, um, Connecticut, Florida, Kentucky. Oh, who was the other one? I had a wild card in there. UCLA. Okay. But I chose North Carolina State only because I wanted my mom to see me play. And I wasn't thrilled about the decision, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and try to put up some good numbers my freshman year. See what happens. If it doesn't work out the way I want it, I'll stay another year and then I'm out. And that's exactly kind of what happened. I went to the to draft combine. I didn't like at all playing at North Carolina State because the game was so slow, right? Like we yeah. played so slow and Herb Sendak, we would get on a break three on one and he would literally stand up and be like, stop. I'm like, my goodness, man. Like, <laughs> I can't do this, you know? And then it, it hampered my, my score. And then they wanted me to play the four, so they tried to – put all this weight on me. Like I had got up to the heaviest that I've ever been. So I felt slower. It was just a bad mix. And after my sophomore year, I left, I entered the, went to the draft combine and um, 
I turned my rolled my ankle on the third day I was there. So I couldn't finish it. So I was gonna just go back to NC State on my way back. I flew into Raleigh, called Coach Sendak and said, Hey, I'm back, I'm coming back, you know, for another year. While I'm at the airport in Raleigh, he said, Don't worry about it. Don't bother. Don't bother coming back because you you've wow. already because you leaving has already created too much of a distraction for us and we just don't need it. I was like, wow. Like, are you serious? He was like, yeah. I'm like, are you, are you, you're really telling me not to come back to school? And he was like, yes. So I flew back home. I called my dad, told him what happened. My dad was livid. He's like on his way to Raleigh. And I'm like, bro, like, I just, let me just come home. You, You don't have to come here. We can talk about it while I'm there. Like, And I came back home. And um, we went to visit Georgia, um, Georgia Tech, and um, actually Georgia Tech first, then Georgia. Um, and then I sat down with Coach Herrick, and Coach Herrick was, wouldn't let me leave his office. He was like, I'm not going to let you leave this office without you telling me you're going to come here. So he had the whole team come in there um, and tell me that they wanted me to be there. He told me how he was going to play me, what positions he was going to play me in, and my dad looked at me and he was like, this the place. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So I committed to Georgia right then. That was a great decision. And, you know, during your next two years there, you still did your thing scoring the ball and being a playmaker. During your senior year, you earned the starting center position and averaged about 13 points per game, five and a half rebounds, leading the Bulldogs to a 19 and eight record and a top 25 finish in the AP poll. Off the court, you got your degree in communication and and media studies. You ultimately went undrafted in 2004, but that didn't mean your career was over. The Seattle Supersonics took you on, and you made the most of your opportunity. And speaking with you now, I see that grind and that work ethic. And that's exactly what you did that summer, putting in work in the weight room and having a big summer league. You made the team and ultimately got the chance to prove yourself at the end of the 2005 season. You had some big games, including 21 points against the Spurs or against the Blazers and 15 points, six boards and five steals against the Spurs in the playoffs. You were you were a restricted free agent that summer and the Sonics didn't want to lose you as they matched the offer that you got. You would play for three more seasons uh, with the team starting 74 games over that span. The team relocated to Oklahoma City the next season and you would be a part of that transition. And you would play with a few more teams besides to play besides and then playing overseas. You'd have one last stint with the Pacers in the 2017, 2018 season, providing a great veteran presence before calling. Hey, uh, career, but- hey Eric, before before we go to his pro career, Damien, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about going undrafted and what that what that feels oh, yeah. like and what it's like. You know, I'm curious because every year we see undrafted guys go and really just make their mark in the league. So I'm curious, you know, on two on two fronts, number one, how were you feeling when you went undrafted and did you expect it? And then number two, um, do you have any ideas to how to make the draft process better so people with your talent don't go undrafted? Oh, man. Um, you know, the college was not what I expected um, as a whole. Right, like you come out of high school being top five, top ten in the, in the country. Um, you know, you expect to make more of a mark than what I did, and 
you know, I, I don't point any fingers at anyone for that. I, I've never pointed any fingers at Herbs in that. I've never pointed any fingers, um, you know, at, at, at how Georgia went because I, I had, so I was, I was productive. I showed in, in all both, both settings that despite everything going on around me that I was able to still be productive on the floor. Um, but for me, I looked at it like, okay, what can I do? What can, what things can I change? What things can I control? Like, that's how I always looked at it. And I was like, I just got to get better. And, you know, kind of just looked myself in the mirror and said, I'm not about to blame anyone. I'm not about to sit back and feel self-pity. Like, I'm, I'm too good for that. So I just worked my butt off, man. And then, you know, even at Georgia, while at Georgia, right, we had um, a situation with Tony Cole, who, you know, mm-hmm. we going into the – NCAA tournament, number three in the country, and he gets in trouble from telling, from not going to class, and then he tells on Coach Herrick about Coach Herrick helping him out with some extra benefits, and they suspend us for the rest of the year. So it was one of those things, man, where I was like, college just ain't for me. Like, once that happened, I was like, man, college just isn't for me, man. Like, I, you know, you can look back on it and be like, man, I should have just went into the draft out of high school or I should have did this, should have did that. But all those experiences made me better. And then you get to the draft. Um, I'm sitting at the draft. I went, you know, against my agent's wishes. He told me not to go because he was like, I don't know. He said Miami has high interest at in the 19th pick, but I don't know for sure. He was like, but I wouldn't go if I was you because I just don't know yet. I'm not hearing anything from anyone else. I said, man, I'm, I'm going. And I went, and they didn't call my name. Miami took the real right um, at the time. And they told my agent the reason why they didn't take me is because they feared that they would probably have to play me. And they didn't want to take anyone in that draft that they would have to play right away. Um, So I went home. Two weeks later, I get a call from Nate McMillan. And the first thing I did when I went home, I just got back in the gym. Like, that was my therapist, being inside the gym. So – I get a call from Nate two weeks later. I go to Summer League. I play well in Summer League. He called me back, tell me to come to vet camp. I come to vet camp over the summer. I'm literally in Seattle from three days after Summer League and all the way until the end of my rookie season. Like, I just spent the entire summer there um, just working, working, and working, and it paid off. And even my rookie year, I didn't play think in the first probably 60 games or something like that like I didn't play at all and then all of a sudden Rashad gets hurt Vladimir Romanovich gets hurt and I've been hanging with Ray Allen the whole time so (laughs) I was mentally I was prepared you know physically I was prepared but mentally more than anything probably more than any rookie in the league that year I was prepared just because of who my vet was and those guys got hurt against Portland one night, and I came in in the second quarter, ended the game with 21 points and a game-saving steal. And the rest, as they say, it's history. History. So, yeah, and that's a that's a great vet to have um, in Ray. And, uh, and, man, you played so well against Portland, they wanted you. So they they, they signed up the dotted line before yeah. Seattle said, no, nah, we need, need to retain this guy. Um, but I want to talk about some uh, some of those highlight moments. And the first one was with Coach Nate. And uh, I know this is a good date for you, November 16, 2007, for Seattle. Uh, it was uh, not Kevin Durant, 
But you that went off for a career high 41 and 9 versus Atlanta, battling Joe Johnson play for play, who had 39 himself. You guys had the victory 123 to 126 to 123. You shot 15 for 20. I mean, lights out, four for five from three point range. How fun was that playing, going heads up with Joe, and then ultimately putting a 40 piece in the win together? Oh man, that was like one of those things, man. Where um, okay, I see you. Be careful. Sorry, my son was leaving. You're um, good. Man, that was one of those games, man. Where it's hard to describe because that was the first time in the NBA that I really got in a zone like that. Like I, I had had good games in the NBA where I had twenties and you know. 24s, 25, like games like that, 19, whatever the case may be. But that was one of those games where it was unexpected. Like I didn't go into the game expecting to play like that. And I had played against Joe a lot in the summer because he lived in Atlanta and we would always go and play pickup together. So, you know, I knew how good he was, not just from the summer, but just from his NBA career as a whole. So um, I went into the game and all the focus was on KD. And I just really, honestly, I just felt like, you know what? Like, all the focus can't be on KD at my house. Like, I'm at home. Like, I'm from Atlanta. Like, uh, all these KD jerseys in here. Like, I just felt the way. <laughs> and, you know, I guess my mindset started to just caught on with the physical. And I just got going. And, like, you know, it was times where KD was like this, like, waiting for the ball. And I'm like, I'm shooting. I'm at the crib. <laughs> going in and then as the game went on he was like keep going keep going and I, that's when I knew like when he's telling you to shoot the ball like and at that time like if you go back and look at the stats like KD was really super inefficient that was inefficient KD that was yeah. like 10 for 31 KD you yeah, know mm -hmm. that was routine every other night he was like he may score 40 but then the next night he may score 40 again, but he may take 40 shots to get it. Like he was just shooting like all the time. So for him, yeah, sure he was like low forties that first uh, rookie year. Yeah. And so, so when he's telling you like, nah, keep going, like, go, 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 you on fire. So I just got lost in the game, man. And um, it was just a great feeling that I can't even describe, bro. Like it was really just one of those nights where I feel like, man, I know how these guys feel like to have a game like this now. Like this is crazy, and it and it you know it was poetic too because it happened at home in front of my family, in front of my friends. Like people still talk about that game to this day. Like I was just talking to Mario West the other day. He works with the Players Association, and he was telling he was like, "Man, you remember that game?" I was like, "Yep, the one I had forty one." I wonder if if Ankh was there for that one because yeah. since it was Atlanta, Nick was there. Nick, All right. My dad was there. Um, Mario West was playing for the Hawks at the time, but I was just in one of those zones, man, where just I just couldn't miss. And it was fun. It was fun, man. It was just one of those unbelievable nights, man, that I just never forget. And to this day, you guys probably won't believe me. I've never watched that game. Oh, you have to. You I have to. Find it. It's not on YouTube. Like that that highlight for that game isn't up there. And like I've never I've never watched the game, like, sit back and watch, like, what happened. 
We need to find that tape. Um, so about about your pop, like who's got the uh, bigger career high? He was there. Who has the well, Neek? Well, you and you and your dad. Yeah, I know Neek oh, has like fifty-seven on Jordan. Like he's got, he's up there. <laughs> Come on, oh, but my dad. I don't know what his career high is. I have to look that up and see. We never yeah. talked. That's a really good question. He had uh his his sophomore year, his second year, his best year. He had forty-three. So he upped you by two points. Upped me by two points. He re and he remembers that. Trust me. Like we we're Wilkins. <laughs> That's competitive family, and you know we'll talk about games and basketball and and, and scores that we had, and then here comes Neek with like, well, yeah, you know, I had sixty ones. You know? <laughs> so, so they might not have that that forty one on tape, Warren. If they do, send it to Triple Play because we need to see that. Send it to D Wilk; he needs to see it. Um, but a couple highlights that I just, oh man, it's it, they're breathtaking. Two, two, two in particular. One inbound pass comes in, you catch it. KG's under the rim, he meets you, and it just smack that one. And I know he chirps with the best of them. So to get him to maybe be quiet for maybe you know two seconds, whatever it was, like, oh, you muted. On, oh, only two oh, seconds. Did you? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Oh yeah, I said only two seconds. You know, KG doesn't stop. <laughs> no, he's coming. And the other, the other one is uh, I know you explained um, your interaction with Kobe, and you said like it's gonna look a lot fast to you, but it's gonna be slow to me. And then on a, a fast break at that, he's chasing Lo. Meet you at the rim, and again you cut, ca you catch another one. You got Kobe on a poster and KG. So take me I, through those two moments. I have that picture um somewhere. I have that picture too. It's like a, a picture of, of like me dunking on them. Like, cause every time I tell people that they don't believe me. So I, I got to refer to the picture, but that man, the, the one on KG was kind of just sneaky. I don't think he yeah. thought that was going to happen. Right. Like he didn't think that was going to happen. And I was like, I can't lay it up. It's KG. Like I can't, I got to try to attack the rim. So, you know, I got lucky with that one. And then the one on with Kobe, it was literally right before we were having a conversation. Um, it, it was, as a matter of fact, hold on. I don't have that picture up, but I have the conversation we were having. <laughs> you kind of slowed up a little bit, like right before takeoff. There we go. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so, the, I used to look up to you my whole life. Conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that was the conversation right there. And I just, he said to me, um, what you said, exactly. Um, you know, look, I just asked him, I said, um, how is the game, like, how does the game, like, feel so slow? To, like, it looks like you're not being rushed at all. Like, like what, how do you get there? I wanted to know how you get to the point where you're not going 100 miles per hour. Like, because everything in college is, even your workouts, it's like, zoom, 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 like, but when you get to the NBA, guys are just moving at their own pace. It's like you're not no no one's rushing anything, right? So, you know, he said to me, he's like, you know, the game is just super slow to me. Like it's it's and it'll slow down for you the more you play. And he and I remember the last thing he said was, he's like, I'll show you. Don't worry about it. Watch this fadeaway I'm about to do to you when we go down the other end. <laughs> I was like, 
the hell you are? Like, I'm about to foul the shit. <laughs> like, you know so, um, and then they ran, you know, solo action is what they called it in the uh, triangle offense. Like, anytime you hear solo, it's either uh, basically an ISO for the big or ISO for the two guard, you know, i.e. Mike or Kobe. And he shot a fadeaway on me. Like, he did it. And I was like, this motherfucker. But, like, a couple of possessions later, we got on that break. And I was like, here we go. This is where my 100 miles per hour is about to come in handy. Uh, I'm going as fast as I can. And I'm like, and I see him and Elo out the corner of my eye. And I'm like, this is a race to the rim. My legs are younger. (laughs) <laughs> and this whole time, that's what I'm thinking. And I'm like, either they're going to block it, foul me, or I'm going to finish this. And if I finish it, I'm the hero. Like, I, don't have to right. no, I don't have to score any more tonight. If I finish <laughs> this, I'm good. And you're I getting just, the Sports Center highlight. Right. I just jumped, man. And whew, something good happened. Man, so Transitioning. I- Transitioning to the best to the business side of things, I want to talk a little bit about your role with the NBPA. And you know, earlier this year, that video of Delon, or earlier last year, that video of Delonte West was circulating through the internet, and Mark Cuban got a lot of attention for bringing him back on his feet. But I think you played a key role as well. You know, you were a teammate of his in Seattle. You guys lived in the same building, and I think he always had a, knew that he had a friend in you. And the NBA NBPA offers former and current players mental health assistance. And I know mental health hits close to home and you've been vocal about players not needing to feel like supermen and to be able to talk about their feelings. And I think the work that you're doing will help future players feel comfortable to express themselves and not feel judged. But I want to ask you, because I know you're going to be a future GM. We fully believe in you. You're going to have to go through the interview process, though. So how would you sell yourself interviewing for that position? Uh, being a GM. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, man, like it's not, you have to know players, right? Most of these GMs, they, they, the successful ones, they just know players, knowing players, knowing what gets them, knowing how to, it, it's like when you go to the YMCA and you play in pickup, like you, for me, I wouldn't go to a gym and pick all of the most talented guys in the gym. I'm going to I'm going to I want to know who plays well together. So I'm probably going to watch the first four or five games before I even play, you know, and I'll just I may stretch. I may, you know, jump rope. I may work out, lift weights while I'm watching them play and see who's playing together. And and, and, and then I will pick teams from there. Some of the best GMs in the league. I think that's what they do. They take their time. They're patient. Um, they watch who plays well together. They know what drives players. They know who can get the best out of the other. They know if Draymond plays well with Steph because he can trust them, right? Like those those are type of intangibles that you have to, that I feel like or think you should know to be a good GM. So for me, I've been, I've played at every level you can play in. You know, I, I, was, I, was, I was good in college. I was good in high school. I played overseas. I played in the NBA. I played... You know, shoot, I don't even consider Puerto Rico overseas. I played there. I don't consider Venezuela overseas. I played there. So I've seen so many different styles of basketball and what works and what doesn't. And I think the biggest attribute I have is that, the all the experience that 
I've had, I've seen, I've been around. I don't know everything, um, but I know that. And for me, man, like, and then being here with the Players Association, like, it's it's been like tutoring on the go. On like, I'm I, I'm over the leadership development program, which is a program that um, helps players get in those positions of scouting, of, of front office, of management, of coaching, all those things. And I've been doing this for five years now. Um, uh, I'm a member of the Sloan MIT conference um, that talks about basketball analytics and sports analytics, all those things that I do to study, to prepare for those things is what ultimately makes me, it's going to make me a good GM. Now, Will I still have things to learn, nuances, salary cap stuff? Yeah, but you can't tell me one GM in the league right now that knows the front, the, the 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 collective bargaining agreement front to back. You can't possibly know it because it changes every day. Yeah. So, you know, it, it those things, I'm going to learn those things just by based on who I work with and then also hiring people to put around me that know more than me. You know? You're not, hired. <laughs> That that's You're funny. Right. You, you mentioned you mentioned the Warriors because I I actually I was talking to Brad and I was like I thought you would be a, you'd be a great fit with that team. You have a really good IQ. You're a really good defender. You would fit in that system. You could even play stretch five in these these times. Um, but my my question after that is, um, you've never been like a superstar. You've just been a great overall a player with great IQ and and to me just like a win, winning type of uh, um, player. Do you think that? A different team, a different circumstance alters what people think about your NBA trajectory. And do you think these situations really mold careers? I do. Um, and then I would also add to that and say that, like, quite frankly, I played the NBA for 10 years. Really couldn't care less what anyone thinks about what I did. Like, that's the pinnacle of basketball. Like, it's only 450 guys a year that does it. It's only 5,000 guys who played it. it I did it undrafted for 10 years i already beat the odds so i didn't need to be a superstar i don't care to be one now like i'm my son thinks i'm the best player in the nba still there we go like there that, we go for me i like I, i'm not egotistical about it right like i don't you know i i hit the lottery bro like <laughs> you know what i'm saying like so it's just it's it's not one of those things where like i think too many guys don't get those front office positions and managerial positions because they carry ego in it. Whereas they don't care in a front office how good you were as a player. No one cares about that because their question to you is, how are you going to help my organization on this side of the game? What do you know that can help this organization be successful? That's all they care about. They don't care about points you scored. Some of the some of the some of the most I would say it's probably more role players right now in those positions than anywhere. Is you there know? is there a pathway to, to becoming a GM? I think it's just about networking. And a lot of people say it's 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 who you know, but I think it's more or less about who knows you. And I think it's about your work ethic. I think people want to see that you're not gonna come in there and like I said, be one of those guys that thinks that their career and the things that they did statistically is just all you need to know and do. Like there's a there's a certain work ethic that they're looking for. And um for me, like I get to be around these guys, all these guys that's making these decisions and hiring. 
I get to be around those guys every day based on my job. So I'm talking to them. I'm telling them what, you know, things I want to do. And I'm also asking them questions and, and, and trying to learn as well. We're talking with Damian Williams, 10-year NBA vet, dunker on KG and Kobe and future GM. Damian, we like to get the guests out of here for a little triple play rapid fire. Just some this or that questions. You probably wouldn't have been asked or haven't been asked some of these before you game. I'm good. I'm ready to go. All right. Question one. Would you rather be the wealthiest in your family or the best dunker? In my family? Yep. Question one. We already got him thinking. I'm a Wilkins, man. So <laughs> I, I want to be the best dunker in my family. Uh, that's the answer I was hoping you'd say. Would you rather take over for a successful GM or team or be in charge of a rebuild? I want to do it my way. All right, player. rebuild. I love it. He's doing it his way. Would you rather rewind or pause your life? Pause. I don't want to change anything. Okay. I like a man with no regrets. Damien, you, you can got only it. listen. You get you get one album for the rest of your life. You only get one. What is it? I'll probably flip a coin between Reasonable Doubt and Illmatic. We'll give you both okay. of them. And those are those are ones I'm taking too. Yeah. All right. Would you rather not be able to go to the gym for a month or no social media for three months? No social media for three months. What if it was six months? Then so be it. Okay. All right. I like it. The man still got to go to the gym. Have Would to. you rather a bell go off every time you're horny or never be horny again? The, that bell can go off every day. I'm still a man. That bell can go off all day long for all I care. The man, the man doesn't care. He does not care. You can only use one utensil for the rest of your life. Are you picking a fork, spoon, or knife? I'm a plant-based guy, so I'll take a spoon. What? The correct answer is fork. I'll take a spoon. I don't I don't dig into a lot of food that I eat, really. I, I don't eat chicken. I don't need a fork. A, what about what salad? I mean? Salad? I'm, I'm not a big salad guy. I'm more beans and rice and vegetables and, you know, a, a, a plant-based burger. Or how do you, how do you cut the burger then? You can use the fork to cut the burger up. You can't do that with a spoon. You use utensils on a burger? I was about to say, you don't need to cut a burger. I'm just saying you can all... All right, fine, fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll, lose, I'll lose this battle, but I'm still sticking with the fork. We got a couple left. Would you rather wear a cape or an eye patch for a month? Cape. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you can explain the cape easier. Can. And then, <laughs> this is a good one. I'm interested to hear your answer. It's Would better, you rather, better than the horny one? I, you tell me. <laughs> Would you rather fight Mike Tyson or talk like him for the rest of your life? I'm not getting in the ring with that dude, man. That's a good choice. That's a good yeah, choice. I'm just gonna sound like him. Do you oh. think the Do you think they'd hire you as a GM though if you talk like Mike Tyson? They may be afraid not to. 
Okay, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> that's, a, go. that's a loophole I didn't. That's a la- That's a loophole I didn't think about. Hey, Last Aaron, one I got, here. I got one. Of, a family three on three. This is a weird one. A dad, uncle, and son matchup. It's you, Gerald, and Dominique versus Horace Harvey and Jeremy Grant. Who wins that three on three? I like our chances. Oh, what is he supposed to say? The other family? Yeah, exactly. I like our chances. Yeah. Yeah, that that group. All right, Damien. Last one. Who wins the championship this year? Uh, I think Brooklyn is finding out right now that it's not easy to just throw talent together and, and find overnight success. Um, the Lakers. I don't. I don't know of a year that I've seen LeBron play this efficient. He's the best he's ever been. Yeah, I, I think he's playing out of this world. And honestly, in my opinion, I think he has more help than he, he's probably. This is probably the deepest. Well, you know that Miami Ray Allen team, Rashad Lewis team, was pretty deep, but this team is probably his. Arguably his deepest team, second deepest team. Yeah, but he's played on and he's playing less minutes. They were like, they were like six deep on Miami. This Lakers team is like eight. Yeah, like they're like super deep. Yeah, you're right. And then yeah. he's playing less minutes. Um, I still don't see it for the Clippers. I just don't see it for them because it just seems like it's always something wrong with them, unless they can pull off a Bradley Beal. But what do okay. they have to? What do they have to give up? Then uh, I don't. George, you know. Yeah, like they Pat, have. To, they have to Pat give up. That makes it work, right? Better, so better they, don't, they don't. have draft picks. And they don't have draft picks, so they. Have and it to takes. And it takes more than a year to get that chemistry, right? Like that's yeah. that's what you're just saying with Brooklyn. So even if they got them this year, it wouldn't it wouldn't do it. Then you got you got Utah who's playing great, but I just don't. I don't know if I got them down the stretch. Like it's, it changes when you got to beat a team four times. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like you're picking the Lakers. I think right now the Lakers are my pick and LeBron is my MVP. Well, you brought All up right. interesting because thinking like future GM mindset, we've been trying to crack the code on Brad Beal. Um, we, you know, we're f- from the DC area. Um, what do you think the best package would be? To put together to get them because I don't think the Clippers package would be good enough. There, there's probably other teams that could offer more. Well, see, I'm old school too, like a little bit. So for me, right, like Brad Bill has to take a little bit of that accountability too. Like you signed the extension. Yo, Damien. So I, I'm the lone one in this group like, that thinks if you have Russell Westbrook and Brad Bill, you build a team around them instead of trying to blow it up. Do you agree with that, or do you think I they should think, blow it up? I think I think they should just get better pieces around them. But Brad Bill can't be as vocal as he is about being so unhappy because you signed the extension, bro. Like mm-hmm. you should have done your homework and asked for more pieces to come in and say, "Hey, let me see what you guys are doing first. But you know, the money talked and the money won the conversation. So now you have to be responsible, just like Giannis right now is finding out. Like, yeah, you, you have you signed it. You didn't have to sign it. Right? Like, you would still be Brad Bill. 
and I'm a fan of Brad, but I just I just feel like it's unfair, um, in a sense, how much, for lack of a better term, complaining you're doing. Like it's a body language right? thing, yeah. It it works as evidenced by Harden. But he doesn't. Brad Beal doesn't want to be traded. That's the difference. Like he's come out and said he he wants to stay in D.C. And the more he keeps saying that, then the more that they're gonna believe him and be like, okay, well, fine, you're stuck. Yeah. Unless he's, you know, just being political, which it's a possibility. Yeah, that's a possibility too. But it's a hard contract to move. And then besides that, where are you going? That's gonna be better than that. That has assets. Right. Not all you're doing is just trading apples for oranges. You got to give up so much to get you to make the money work that you're probably going to go into another situation where, like, they still trying to build something. Like, because he can't go to the Lakers. They don't have enough. Clippers have no draft picks. Milwaukee is tied up. Miami has no draft picks to trade. Miami has no draft. Maybe, picks. maybe the Nuggets. Maybe the Nuggets. You're still not coming out of the West. Like it's no, it's just okay. So you'll win more games and maybe get to the playoffs, but then what? That's true. Yeah, That's I was true. thinking about at Atlanta because John John Collins is on a you know the end of his contract. They got some young pieces. They got what? They got Reddish and Hunter and Herder, and then they'll they still put a lot of money into the these veteran guys for the summer with with Gallo and Bogdanovich, and you got Capella. Nah, man. Wizards, Wizards need, Wizards nah. need two, three, and D wings. Get some defense around him. Get some shooters, and just run it, run it with Russell Westbrook if and Brad Beal. If he goes to Atlanta, or if he comes to Atlanta, it's him and Trey Young. Yeah, That's not enough. That's not it's enough. That's the highest scoring backcourt that doesn't play defense. Exactly. So they're gonna get eighty and give up one twenty. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate Damien taking Damien. We appreciate you taking some time to talk with us. If you want to follow him, and he is a great social media follow, although he has no problem giving it up, you can follow him on Twitter at dwilkins3000 or on IG at dwilk3000 as well. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you listen to some future shows, and everybody stay safe. <laughs>